So according to a 2014 letter published in the Harvard Neuroscience Institute's quarterly journal, there are several factors involved with whether or not you will be able to remember a dream when you wake up. You know, first and foremost, according to Harvard, you have to enter into what is the hypnagogic state. If there's any doctors here and I said that wrong, I'm sorry. The rest of you, just assume I said that correctly. Here, in this state, we experience dreamlike visual, uh, auditory, and physical hallucinations. You know, the manner in which we awake in the morning also affects whether or not we remember a dream. According to Harvard, you should allow yourself to float back and forth to remember your dream before getting up. You know, alarm clocks are, un, are usually not helpful in this situation. So if you're like me and you hit the snooze button uh, more often than your partner would like you to, you now have scientific evidence for doing that every day. The purpose and function of dreams in our lives are as varied as the dreams we have each night. According to Freud, your dreams disclose a repressed part of your life, higher that you've been denying yourself. So for example, if you dream of chocolate cake every night, this is because according to Freud, you have been denying your heart what it wants most. So eat cake and be happy. My earliest memory of what a dream is and how a dream functions was provided to me by Walt Disney in the 1950 classic Cinderella. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. In your dreams, you will lose your heartache. Whatever you wish for, you keep. And then perhaps the most famous modern dream can be found as a political stance with rich theological undertones. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream for my four little children. They will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racist and with its governor having lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, Little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. Dreams provide for us, according to Walter Brueggemann, a world other than the one that is at hand. In a dream, there's an otherness that we experience. A dream reveals a reality other than the one that we find ourselves living in. Dr. King understood this. Dreaming of a world dramatically different from the world he experienced and, frankly, the world that we experience today. So, should she stay or should she go? Joseph had a real dilemma on his hands. Regardless of how Mary had become pregnant, her pregnated the social and ethical norms of first century Israel. During this time, to be pregnant outside of marriage was a no-no bigger than humiliation or just social stigma. Mary and Joseph, we know, were engaged. They were betrothed to one another. 
You know, engagement during this time was a bit more complicated than going to the jewelry store, spending three months' salary on a ring, and then planning the perfect proposal. Mary and Joseph found themselves in a legally binding contract. And since Joseph was not the biological father of Mary's child, the assumption made that Mary was guilty of adultery. So what was Joseph to do? As a righteous man, Joseph had two choices he could take, and frankly, both of the choices just sucked. I mean, Joseph would have been well within his legal right to have Mary stoned per Leviticus 10.20. Joseph could have also given Mary a writ of divorce, nullifying the contract that had been established most likely between Joseph and Mary's father. I mean, Scripture tells us flat out that Joseph was a righteous man, so he had no choice. Joseph wasn't going to miss Mary to be harsh or to be cruel, but rather because the law required him to do so. Before Christ, righteousness was found in one's ability to follow and obey the law. So Joseph didn't have a choice in the matter. The ethics of the day would require nothing less of him. Dismissal would have brought as much public shame on Joseph as it would on Mary. You know, there's a reason. There's a reason Linus opted to read Luke's account of the nativity. And there's a reason why on Christmas Eve, we will read Luke's account of the Nativity. Matthew, the birth of Christ, it's really uncomfortable. The dilemma faced by Joseph exposes the scandal of the Incarnation during a time of year when we seek out a sentimental Norman Rockwell-like Christmas. Either way you cut it, because of the cultural and social norms, Joseph could not dream of doing anything else when Mary told him that she was pregnant. What Joseph was going to do had been settled for him long before Mary told him what was going on. Just when Joseph had decided what action, God intervened on Mary's behalf. God intervened on behalf of God's own son. The scriptures tell us, as he was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So while Joseph may have had no part in the conception of Jesus, Joseph would be 100% all in on raising the Messiah after birth. The divine message carried and delivered by a dream dream messenger grafted Joseph, a descendant of David, Israel's mighty shepherding king, into the story by asking Joseph to adopt the coming child and passing his family lineage onto the Savior of the world. So the angel delivered the heavenly message. And I mean, you all know the story. Mary was saved from the shame of divorce or the pain of stoning. The holy family was intact and they made their way to Joseph's hometown to be counted in the Roman census. Joseph heard the story. God's plan for salvation, a plan that along with his ancestors had been dreaming about. And Joseph was changed. 
God's revelation, God's dreams rearrange our lives, disrupting the trajectory that we have set for ourselves. Just as an intruder in the night has the ability to suddenly, without warning, rearrange the layout of your home. It's disorienting. It's shocking. It leaves us feeling uneasy. It comes swiftly and abruptly. But this is how divine messengers move. They are sent to grab our attention, shaking us from the norms that we have been conditioned to so that we changed. Joseph wasn't the first to experience the sudden arrival of God in the dead of night. If we go way back to Genesis, Jacob was visited in a dream. He was promised redemption from sin, and he was promised companionship with the divine. Rulers have been approached by God in the middle of the night. The Egyptian pharaoh and then King Nebuchadnezzar had their power deconstructed in a dream. And they were reminded of God's ultimate power and intention through dreams. Divine dreams reveal divine reality. And they leave us as recipients or recipients of their stories scratching our heads because God is not interested in the social norms that we have been conditioned to. God's concern is the redemption and the salvation of all people, all of creation's renewal. Often divine dreams, the dreams of God, they seem un or they seem unrealistic, improbable, but idealistic. I mean, take for example the dream of Isaiah. It's a song that is sung at least three times every year here at Mount Olivet during Advent and Christmas. And I know most of you know how the story goes. Lion, leopards, and lambs, wolves, and cattle all lying together in peace. The peace that many of us experience while in the forest or in the fields has been extended throughout all of creation. The nations are obeying God. All of creation has been reordered and everyone and everything has been redeemed. All of that sounds great. Sign me up. I will be the first in line. But it can feel as though fully realizing this dream is beyond us. Even in our wildest dreams, restoration and redemption escape seems like it's beyond us. God's dreams seem as though they are beyond us. Because they are. This is the work of God that we get to be a small, a very small part of. The beginning of the dream Isaiah saw was revealed to Joseph. The scandal of the incarnation is that in Christ, God is prepared to rearrange the ordering of creation, beginning not with power or political might, but rather through a child born and laid in a manger, and then eventually on the cross and in the empty tomb. Scientists can debate they can debate the function and purpose of dreams in our daily lives. But God's dreams have a specific purpose. In Joseph's dream, we, all of us, we relinquished control. And on the cross and in the empty tomb, God's plan for redemption and salvation of all people, everyone, was revealed. All of creation, every corner of it will be made new. 
And now we find ourselves in this weird limbo period. It's the fourth week of Advent, but Christmas is just a few days away. So this darkness of Advent are beginning to give way to the bright lights and tinsel revealed at Christmas. And we're going to recall that the beginning of the kingdom of God it happened in a child. And when we remember this, we are now awaiting the full realization of a dream bigger than any of us can imagine, but not so big that any of us will be left out of it. We can continue to dream on because, behold, a Savior has come, and this Savior will come again. Thanks be to God. Amen.